These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Well, it is time for Unprecedented, uh, our weekly look at uh, President Trump's White House in the company of our inveterate and White House watcher, Adrian Collins. Adrian, it's been a good week for Trump. In fact, it might be a good week for Trump and George Hook in that my view that the White House would be a civilizing place might actually have some meaning, no? Or? Po- possibly. There, there is an element, I see where you're coming from, that it's been a big week for Trump in terms of international relations. You know, he met with the leader of China, uh, Xi Jinping. He met with the King of Jordan, I believe it was as well. He then had the decision to make on Syria. And he's also then been interacting with Russia in a much more confrontational way than we expected. So this is, this. if you want to look at it from the CNN media talking heads sort of perspective. This has been the week where Trump put points on the board in that he acted, as they love to say, he turned into the president this week. I mean, he was the president since his inauguration. But I think it has been a very steep learning curve for somebody who came into this job as a businessman and is realising that there's a lot of implications to everything that he does and says now. And he's finding out what those implications are, in particular in relation to the attack on Syria. Now, um, Rex Tillerson, his Secretary of State, is going to Russia. Mm-hmm. So next week we're going to be talking about that. But where where do you think uh, the president was last week in terms of the fact this is a man who had the lowest approval ratings that people said couldn't do it, that was all smoke and mirrors? Where do you think he is now? He's probably uh, – this is one of the things that we have a little bit of audio clip of here – The media reaction to the strike on Syria was completely over the top in terms of positivity. This display of America's military might is huge. And this is what the media had to say about it. We see these beautiful pictures at night from the decks of these two U.S. Navy vessels in the eastern Mediterranean. I am tempted to quote the great Leonard Cohen. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Um, and they are beautiful pictures of, uh, of fearsome armaments making what is for them a brief flight over to this airfield. Yeah. This, I think, part of the problem here is so now a lot of people who were necessarily never Trumpers are behind him saying he got this decision on Syria right. The media is now behind him saying he got this decision on Syria right. Well, that's changing as as the week evolves. And he's kind of consolidated a little bit of the criticism against him. My concern here is that the takeaway that Donald Trump will have, we know that Donald Trump sits down and watches Fox News and CNN and ABC News all day. He watches Martha Raddatz all the time, George. And he will know that what they are saying about him is now positive because he inflicted a strike on another country. My concern is, does he have a plan after this? So his, if we have, an, we have another clip here of him in 2015 saying essentially that you should not get involved with Syria at all. Why do we care? Let ISIS and Syria fight and let Russia 
they're in Syria already, mm-hmm. let them fight ISIS. Now, if you were to rate the great presidents of America, all right, certainly I think in the top three would be Franklin Delano Roosevelt, three-term president. Uh, but he said, you know, we're not going to go into the war. Mm. Whereas all the time he was trying to find ways of bringing America into World War II whilst trying to appease, uh, interestingly, a group called America First, uh, the America (laughs) First group who didn't want to go to war. Okay, and there was a there was a Republican governor I can't even remember, but but you know he was leading the anti-war guys. So therefore. Uh, my point being that Trump's position in 2015 is bound to be different in 2017 because the situation is different in 2017. I think it is, but it's not even that it was different in 2017. We have another short clip here of his own team in March saying that you have to leave Assad and Syria to sort out essentially their own problems. The people of Syria will decide whether or not Assad should be in power. With respect to Assad, I mean, there is a political reality that we have to accept. Um, um, We lost a lot of opportunity the last last administration with respect to Assad. And I think that our restatement that both UN Ambassador Haley gave yesterday um, and uh, Secretary of State Tillerson uh, reflects the reality that it is now at the Syrian people and to have a political process through which Syrians will decide uh, their own political future. I think the longer-term status... President Assad will be decided by the Syrian people. If you look at his actions, if you look at the situation, it's going to be hard to see a government that's peaceful and stable with Assad. And once the ISIS uh, threat has been reduced or eliminated, I think we can turn our attention directly to stabilizing the situation in Syria. Well, two things. One, um, the gas and chemical attack changed everything. It did. I mean, you can't really talk about Syria the way they talked about it in March with a situation post uh, a chemical attack. The the issue for Bashar al-Assad, I think, is very interesting, that there's a ton of people in the West, and by the West I mean America, Europe, all that, who would believe that Assad is the best thing around, you know? I mean, where everybody said... Uh, and it's an old American phrase, he's really a bad guy, but he's our bad guy. Trump, so, Trump said this in the debates. He said you could end up with worse than Assad if you get rid of Assad. Yes, yeah. and I think you could. Now, the other interesting thing, which isn't looking at the White House, but is looking at the British Houses of Parliament, Theresa May has broken with the EU in relation to her support for America. Well, but I also think NATO has generally supported the the movement, uh, the the strikes. And Nikki Haley, the UN the US ambassador to the UN, said this as well that there are times when states have to act in the best interest of their states. My concern, obviously, Theresa May's move is in light of Brexit. There's a developing, you know, increasingly important trade relationship there that they need to keep open, and obviously a special relationship, as George Bush and Tony Blair put it, that have they have to maintain this. Concern on my part is that if it was, if as recently as March they were saying forget about Syria, don't worry about Syria, let them sort their own problems out, then the chemical attack happens. How have they had enough time to plan what the next part of it is? And that will be the 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 job of Mattis, who apparently asked a lot of those questions when it was happening. 
But Donald Trump tweeted in 2015 to say, don't tax Syria, there's nothing there to gain. Donald Trump tweeted and said, don't do it without congressional uh, approval. And these are all the things that he did. You see, I think history is really interesting here. Look how long uh, the Israeli-Palestine conflict is going on without fixing it. I mean, uh, look how difficult post-Iraq has been when George Bush famously landed on an American carrier and sort of said, you know, victory achieved. And mm. this, they used to call the Balkans uh, the cockpit of Europe, right? Because all the wars seemed to start there. And famously, Sarajevo, the assassination, which started World War One, or Churchill's uh, famous error in the Dardanelles and, and so on, uh, which almost ruined his career forever. So therefore, this is a very difficult region for America to know what to do. And the, the, the Russians are meddling. Just as the Chinese had meddled 20 or 25 years ago in Africa, hmm. in Mozambique, in places like that. Uh, the, the, well, the, uh, there's, there's two things. Firstly, this America first, isolationist, let's ignore the rest of the world thing was what Trump got to the White House on. Now, right. as you're saying, the civilizing effect of realizing you're a larger part of the world has had an effect. Fine. But I don't think that it fits with his general – if one on, on one side of the thing he's saying, I don't want Syrians coming into the country, it's your problem. And then the other side, he's bombing them. That means he has pity because of the pictures of the chemical attack, but no pity for the people who are trying to run from Assad. And he knows that Assad is a bad guy. And he said it himself. And then secondly, you mentioned China and North Korea. He was also speaking with Xi Jinping while this was happening, alerted him essentially while they were staying down at dinner, say, by the way, I've launched a load of missiles there. I'm, I'm launching 60 tomahawks at Syria – thought I should give you a quick heads up while we're having dinner here. And they waited until Jinping, Xi Jinping was back in China to say that now Trump has essentially bowed to the wants of Washington and he's a weak and effective leader because he needed this show of military strength. So I think he's now trapped in a situation where he has to negotiate with people who know what he brings to the table. Yeah. He needs to win. But people like you, I, I mean, I I don't think Trump could ever gain your approval. Like I I think you're you're so critical of Trump that that he he can't win with you, and he can't win with a lot of people like you. So I mean, if I was Trump, I'd say I don't care. I don't care about Adrian Collins, or I don't care about CNN. I put them in that order of importance: <laughs> Adrian Collins and CNN, but. The thing about this is the Syrian problem is the greatest stain in Obama's escutcheon. Mm -hmm. Obama's uh, career as president of the US, Syria has to be in the discussion. And he said it himself. It's a massive regret for himself. Yeah. So therefore, what Trump is also trying to do is fix, and I don't think he will, but fix what Obama didn't fix. In fact, what Obama created rather than didn't fix. So, to, 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 I mean, you can almost go through every president since World like well, effectively since the Korean War, since uh, Harry Truman in the Korean War. You then find uh, Vietnam brings Lyndon Johnson down. Uh, the illegal bombing of Cambodia is part of Nixon's huge problem. Uh, the 
even Kennedy, who we thought was wonderful, was the guy who put Americans, known as advisors, into Vietnam in the first place. So almost every American, because you can no longer win a war, no longer can you do, you can't drop an atom bomb on two Japanese cities and end it. You can't drop two atom bombs on two Middle East cities and end the war. So there's no end to these wars. There is no winner. There's no victory ticker tape parade down Fifth Avenue. So no matter what Trump does, he loses. And he learned that from Obama, that if he didn't do anything, paralysis by analysis was the phrase used to describe Obama because he was about to strike and then roll back and ended up doing nothing. And that is one of his massive regrets. Trump had the exact opposite. He almost had probably no analysis. Between Tuesday and Thursday, he just decided, okay, let's go with it. Now, I'm sure they had the attacks planned. They had all everything ready to go. But my... Well, all well now, you say, I assume, you couldn't possibly have yeah. launched that attack without, without a, in the war room, having it been all planned, tested and gamed uh, beforehand. But would that have been done under Trump's watch or would that have been a plan that was in place since Obama took over? I'd say that plan's been around for a long time. Yeah, so we're giving a lot of credit to Trump simply for saying, yes, let's go ahead. No, I don't think we're... I'm not giving a lot of credit to Trump at all. The media and the rest of the... the My view's quite simple. Sooner or later, and it was always going to be sooner, it was never going to be like in four years uh, they they don't re-elect Trump because he had disastrous four years. Hmm. Like the hundred, the first hundred days remain now as before the kind of original template of how you judge a president in America. This has happened within the first hundred days. It has, and that's a key thing, I think. It's the only area where Trump has actually gotten any sort of positive media reaction and my one concern I suppose to kind of put a line under it is Trump is so obsessed with what the media says about him that this overarching kind of positive reaction to this strike worries me in that the lesson Trump is likely to take away is I got a positive reaction when I bombed that place maybe I should be a bit more of a strong man in general. But uh, Margaret Thatcher uh, did precisely the same thing, was essentially to go to war with the Argentinians because her ratings went up. War is good for political leaders. Winston Churchill, my great hero, Winston Churchill, you wouldn't even know his name were it not for World War Two, You probably, well, you probably don't know George S. Patton's name, but you wouldn't know George S. Patton's name if there weren't war because Patton was made for war. And, and if there's no war, you have no Patton. So uh, Trump realizes, same as everybody else, that if he, if he launches he'll go up in the opinion of Americans. It's incredible that all the liberal media have supported him for bombing somebody. War it's is incredible. Yeah. I, uh, a great hero of mine, Jorge Luis Borges, the Argentine author, described the Malvinas conflict, uh, the uh, Falklands conflict, as two bald men fighting over a comb. And I think it's clear from that statement, war is war and politics is politics. And now Trump is trying to use war as politics, as hundreds and hundreds of leaders in the past have. Yeah, but big difference between the Malvinas and Syria. Like Syria and that whole area, because 
as he said in 2015, uh, ISIS are there. And the problem is that you can't beat ISIS. Like when, when Germany surrendered, they were beaten. When Japan surrendered, they were beaten. And there was, there was a new government, a new way of life that we know today. The point is ISIS is, is less of an organization than a philosophy. So even if ISIS were destroyed, I mean, the, the death of Osama bin Laden made absolutely no difference to terrorism around the globe. None. So as as Michael Collins knew perfectly well, uh, and de Valera didn't, that you can't engage in a set-piece battle with the British, but how do the British deal with guerrilla warfare? And and what ISIS has is guerrilla warfare by another name, except it's aimed at civilians. It is, and they've... Trump has learned that I suppose the only thing that you can that that he can gain from this conflict is that when he says there's a line has been crossed that he has shown the military might say when you cross this line this is what will happen. And Obama said if you cross this line this will happen and they crossed nothing. the line and nothing happened and that is the utter failure of uh, the Liberals' favourite, uh, <laughs> Barack Obama, former President of the United States of America. Uh, Unprecedented is available, as you know, on com and on iTunes. Next week, our man at the White House, well, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> Adrian Collins, and we look at the life, the times, and the presidency of Donald Trump.